Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash onpay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Taylor Neiman. She's the co-founder and CEO of Toucan. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kevin. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Perfect. So I was born and raised in Hermosa Beach, California. Nice. Town, <laughs> um, which was not too shabby of a place to grow up in general. I was on the beach every day after school playing volleyball. Um, so <laughs> I ended up becoming fairly good at the sport in general. And I ended up playing Division One volleyball in college and also yeah. went to the Junior Olympics for both indoor and outdoor uh, beach volleyball. Very cool. That that was probably an amazing experience. Loved it. And I'm also a little competitive in general because of it. <laughs> that's good. That's good. So you, what did you take in university and why? So I went to school upstate New York at Cornell. Okay. I majored in the most general like <laughs> subjects you could, communication and business, because okay. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I just wanted to learn a lot and have as many opportunities as possible. Um, while I was there, every summer I would go down to the New York City to have internships. I did internships in fashion, worked at Vogue, GQ, Teen Vogue. Um, I also worked on inside our student-run restaurant and bar within Cornell, everything from a dishwasher to a manager and loved hospitality and also fashion, but like realized those industries weren't quite for me. Gotcha. Um, until I started learning a bit more about tech and I just fell in love. Very cool. So walk us through your journey up until Toucan and coming up with the idea. Yes, so came back to Los Angeles after college, found myself within Headspace as a really sure. early employee. Interesting. Um, really was a learning ground, playground for me, as well as one of my co-founders who was there with me, Brandon Dietz, who's leading product for us. Um, cool. It was an amazing experience to scale that company and see all the growth. And also just as a place for a future CEO to pick up everything and really the scrappy generalist, learn everything, try different things out. Um, and really have built my career off of scaling companies. So on the distribution side, like how do we scale high growth tech companies without paid acquisition, which is now music to a lot of people's ears, but I knew I wanted to start something and Toucan is the fourth company I've started, but it is the first one that is venture back. So have a lot of failures under my belt, which is almost a rite of passage. 
No, that's good. I, I think it's, I'm glad you said that because so many people don't talk about um, that and, and just like, they're almost like embarrassed by it. But I think in a lot of cases, you learn more from what not to do or, or from like failing than I think you do from being successful. Because I think a lot of people, if you're successful out of the gate, you think that you're, you're like the next time you do it, you're like, well, this is easy. Like how, like, but then you just like, hit that wall so much harder and that like failure is so much harder after you've had a success. Do you agree with that? Or what's your thoughts around that? A hundred percent. Like, and what's interesting about failure is there's always something that you can learn from it. And I took those learnings and each time I got better and better until this time it's like, okay, clearly dream co-founding team, which I learned from other experiences when I was a solo founder. And at one point I was non-technical. So I taught myself how to code to be dangerous enough to build any of my ideas and recruit way smarter people than me, like Sean, my other co-founder and who's leading engineering for us. Um, and took those learnings to be able to put Toucan honestly in the best position possible once we had come up with this idea. Um, and I think, I think it also speaks to just like tenacity and grit of entrepreneurs like you gotta be able to like get dirty and not be afraid of failure because there are so many ups and downs in these companies that if you're okay with that uncertainty and you're willing to bet on yourself I think that that shines through no I 100% agree with you I, I think like I always joke that Basically, it's like the best and worst thing I've ever done. And I'll give you one of those answers, depending on the 15 minute interval that I'm currently in. <laughs> right. It's like, an, it's like for people that don't realize or haven't done it, it's, it is literally like, can be like the worst decision of your life some days. And, and it can also be the best decision. Like it's, it's such a roller coaster ride. It really is. And I think what was interesting to really see my friends and family reaction. Um, yeah. Of- high paying, comfy tech jobs with a ton of security and me jumping into completely unknown with no money whatsoever. (laughs) What the heck are you doing? But I think for me, it's always been the passion behind building and really what I'm building and not only the potential I see of like what there could be from a business standpoint, but also having that mission driven aspect of impacting the world in a bigger way. Sure. Well, but I also think like those jobs that you just outlined will always be there. Like if you really hate what you're doing in your startup and you're tired of being broke and you want to give up, you can go get one of those jobs. I'm not saying you, I'm just talking to like anybody out there. Right. It's like almost like use that as your plan B. If you re if being an entrepreneur isn't really for you, it's just, it's really hard to go the other way around. If you're making hundred, 150, 200 plus thousand dollars a year, to give that all up and, and go start your, your own thing and kind of starve and live off your savings is doable, but a lot of people can't make that jump. Yeah, 100% agree with you. It is definitely like interesting, um, but really it comes down to like your risk profile. Totally, no, 100%. So I'm curious, how did you come up with the idea for Toucan and, and what exactly is it? Yes, so... I think if you look at the three of us co-founders in our backgrounds, we've worked in some of the best companies in LA tech, whether that's Headspace or Riot Games or Prey or Fair. And so we know all about the science of habit formation and really how hard it is to get anyone to do anything. And so when we started approaching this space of 
how do we get people to learn new things and get them to learn new things every single day? We're like, why would we try to take time out of people's very busy days? Because we're not just competing against friends, family, work, and school, but also Netflix, Spotify, Instagram, and everything else in between. So we decided let's flip it on its head and intentionally layer on top of existing behaviors and meet people where they already are throughout the day. And that's how we landed on a browser extension as our first product vertical. So you install Toucan into your browser. You just go to jointoucan.com. And then as you're reading New York Times in the morning, binge watching Netflix, going down Wikipedia rabbit holes, we serve you up with micro moments of learning. And right now we're laser focused on languages, but you could eventually see this tech extending into other content verticals. But what the language experience looks like is if you're reading an article and the word coffee shows up, it will be translated in line to whatever language you're trying to learn. So say cafe and through context, you can kind of figure out what it is. But if you don't understand, you just hover over it, see back to your native tongue or do a deeper exercise like listening to the audio pronunciation. And eventually we'll have that as a jumping off point into quizzes or mini games. Interesting. So I'm curious though, how did you guys, because you, you guys were probably obviously brainstorming, but how did you decide to actually build this as a Chrome extension? Yeah, so we didn't intend to build a browser extension. We were okay. just testing a bunch of things with trying to prove out our hypothesis of layering on top of behaviors. And we're like, oh, Chrome store is like pretty overlooked and untapped, but massive distribution channel. Let's try it out. So the day we had the idea, we pushed out the first version. It was so ugly. It was beautiful. And the <laughs> words were so simple. They were of and the. And if you can imagine the word the being translated every single time across your web page, like probably not the best user experience. <laughs> sure. we, we wanted to see like, is there even a piece of magic here? And when we put the product in front of strangers' faces at coffee shops, they're like, this is really cool. And so we started building out a set of hypotheses to prove things right or wrong. And even when we proved some of our thoughts wrong, the idea still got bigger. Interesting. Okay, so I wanna, I wanna step back for a second. So you build this version that is a little bit crude and you literally go to, random strangers at coffee shops and get them to use this Chrome extension. Can you, exactly. can you walk us through that? Cause like not a lot of people would have the, the guts to actually go up to a stranger and say like, can you use my, my product? Yes. And I think this ties into fear of failure too, right? Like for whatever reason, I've developed this muscle of not being scared of being rejected or saying no, because what's the worst that happens? You're at the same place as you started. Totally. Right. Very good. advice. Uh, um, and I've done that my whole life, whether that's a job raise or even trying to negotiate at restaurants. I tell friends to do this, like ask for 10% off, like just to get that rejection muscle going because Interesting. they say yes, which surprises people. Um, but we wanted to get the product in front of people that didn't know us. Like I didn't show it to my family. I didn't show it to friends because I knew they would just say, this is amazing. Great job, everyone. Um, but I wanted real advice to help us in that product iteration side. Interesting. No, I, I think that's, it's actually a really good idea. And it's nice to hear somebody 
else do that? Like I've done it before, but so many kind of founders, I find they're like, well, I could never do that. It's like, well, why? Cause it's like, what if they say no? It's like, who cares? Like move yeah. on to the next person. Like, like in a lot of cases, if you say like, Hey, can you try my app and I'll buy you a coffee? Like you'd be surprised at how many people will do that. If you just give them something small or, or in a lot of cases, you don't even need to buy them anything. Right. Like people naturally want to help. It's just overcoming talking to that stranger or fear of rejection because you are building this product. It's becoming your baby. And it's so natural and safe just to stay behind your computer if you are building a software product. But it's actually more helpful to go talk to potential end users. Totally. So you covered it quickly, but how has it evolved from that kind of first early version where you were at a coffee shop demoing it to what it is today and that people can try and use? Yep. So it's evolved quite a lot. We now have five languages that we offer English to Spanish, French, Portuguese, Italian, German. We're also in the midst of launching three new languages, Japanese, Korean, and Russian. And we're on this cadence to launch three new languages around every six weeks or so. Wow. What's interesting about the tech that we're building is um, it's becoming really smart. So if you think about words, words are extremely complicated. So if the word orange shows up on your webpage, we need to understand, is it orange the color or orange the fruit? Right. And so with 80% confidence level, like we can detect, okay, it's actually orange the fruit and let's translate it accordingly. Um, but now our tech is evolving to start understand also like you as an individual user, what's complicated for you? How often have you seen different learnings? Like, do we need to increase the difficulty level? Like time of day you like to engage and learn like different web pages like, that you learn best on. Um, so this experience is really becoming customized over time and we're still just in the early beginnings of what this potentially could become because nothing like this exists like we have tech out there that does full page translations or massive paragraph translations but not really this contextual almost spanglish version of a product which is best from the learning efficacy side and that's something that's really important to us making sure our pro our product is efficacious in getting people to learn no makes makes total sense so can I pick which sites it's used on or is it everywhere or how does that kind of work? Yes. So Toucan works across every website. Okay. We default to pausing on specific sites, whether that deals with your workflow, like Gmail. At one point we were doing translations right. with an email and we were thinking, oh, that's a clever growth hack, but then decided actually we probably shouldn't be doing that with an email. Um, having these little translations getting sent to one another. Um, sure. Also, banks, we automatically pause um, just from not that Toucan doesn't do anything like weird, but just from user perception. We yeah. want to make sure that they feel comfortable like browsing with Toucan. Um, and we're actually trying to become that gold standard on the privacy side of browser extensions in general. And so that's something we're really passionate about. Okay. So, so what does that mean to you guys from, from the privacy standpoint? Because I think certain people care about it, certain people understand it and others, you know, just, just kind of, it is what it is. So how are you guys really caring about people's privacy outside of kind of what you just mentioned from like the banking standpoint and, and personal email or, or work email? 
So for us, it's really one communicating, like what are we doing to be the best teacher? Okay. And then giving users the choice of like, okay, Toucan is um, scanning the page for vocabulary learning so that I can understand how I'm progressing because we leverage a science back uh, technique called space repetition. Like, yes, I want to let Toucan keep doing this thing that helps me with progression or no, we don't want that. So we're building a privacy dashboard to allow users to have sight of what's happening and then allowing them to have opt in, opt out controls over what's, what, what is going on, which I think it like nothing, I've never seen anything that even shows that transparency side of things. And we've even already taken the step of we TLDR'd our privacy policy. So if you go to joinTucan.com slash privacy, we put everything in extremely plain language so you know what we're doing before you even see any legal jargon. No, that, that makes makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned something early on. Um, you bootstrapped some of your other startups, but you actually raised capital for this. What made you decide to raise capital for Toucan instead of maybe bootstrapping this yourself? Yes, so did attempt to raise capital for the third venture. Um, okay. It was just two of us co-founders at the time, me and Brandon. We pitched probably over 100 investors. Everyone tore apart the idea, but they loved us as a team. Um, so I got to understand the venture capital world and started building relationships from there. For Toucan, we see like, this is a massive opportunity to do so much good in the world that if we can pour gasoline on the fire and help us get to that vision quicker, like we want to be able to do that. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So walk us through, because you had those initial relationships with your third idea that you didn't end up building, you leverage those connections to build a new product, which was Toucan. Is, is that correct? Am I hearing that right? Yes. And it was about two years later. So it okay. was time in between for that to happen. But I think it emphasizes how much I've learned. Relationships are so important if you are looking to raise venture capital. And something I did fairly strategically when we started out with Toucan is we weren't raising funding. But I okay. met with every investor from pre-seed seed to series A to pitch them on our vision because I knew once they saw us executing on everything that we were building, that would make that conversation earlier, easier down that line. Interesting. So at what point did you decide to raise money then if you were just kind of pitching them? because you knew it was coming down the road, but like at what point did you say like, okay, we need to really raise money now? So for us, it was, we wanted to, and this was really early days, we wanted to have an MVP beta product that we felt good about that we knew had potential okay. and what the vision could be. Um, since we had three co-founders that are so complementary in skill set, we could have kept building for a really long time without capital. But for us, we wanted that extra firepower on the human engineering side. So we raised some initial capital because we had so much inbound interest. Um, and I think it, it goes to speak to my co-founders who are absolutely so talented um, and incredible. Like there was this dream LA team starting to build something with a massive vision, started creating a lot of hype, 
which then allowed us to kick off those conversations. And then very strategically also um, booked all the meetings back to back to uh, leverage the momentum. I was doing maybe six meetings a day, wow. um, but closed that initial funding within four weeks with three term sheets. Wow. That's awesome. Congrats. That's, that's actually really quick. Thank you. But it helps, right? Like you had all these relationships that like, so what you had, cause if you said you close within four weeks, there was maybe a two year gap where you maybe talked to some of those investors. So like, it wasn't like you didn't just close it in four weeks like you did, but it, you built those relationships over a few years prior. Is that fair to say? Exactly. And I think that's really important to highlight. Like these data points last a really long time right? Um, and go to show, okay, who is this person? Okay. I'm meeting them the first time. What are they talking to me about? What are they showing their like? And then, okay, now I'm seeing them again. Like, is it showing true the same? How have they progressed? What have they learned in the meantime, even though it's a completely different idea? No, I a hundred percent agree. I, I think it's interesting because like you obviously didn't get investment the first time, but then they saw you change your idea and come back and like, just the types of people that you guys were as co-founders, right? To be able to kind of iterate and change and accept the fact that maybe your idea was ahead of its time, maybe it was good, bad or other, it doesn't really matter. You moved on to something else. And like, I think investors can really see that, that you're, you guys aren't willing to give up, right? Yeah, definitely. Like the tenacity side. And again, this is the, the fourth time, three failures under my belt. I think like I would bet on myself any day, especially with the team we have around me to have something come for fruition. And you honestly just feel it if you're within something that's working. And the other adventures like were other of my babies, but like didn't feel this this way. And it just feels different. No, that's fair. That's fair to say. And you, yeah, you know that feeling when you're in it, but it's really hard to explain when you're not in it or you, you don't have it. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm curious though, when you guys were building this first beta, were all of you working? Some of you working? Was this an evening project? Were you full-time? How are you guys just surviving before you raise capital? So the three of us jumped from our full-time jobs. Um, okay. We were just living off of our savings. Okay. Um, and then that's also another reason why we raised venture capital because we were de-risking ourselves, sure. right? Um, able to like pay us a little bit of a salary to eat food um, and live, but initially just living off of our savings. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So where do you guys, and you quickly covered this, where do you take Toucan going forward? Like you're adding new languages and you mentioned it quickly where you want to go, but like, because I think you could probably even leverage this technology to other people and other apps or, or I don't know, like I could see a, an infinite amount of possibilities with your technology. Yes. I'm so excited you brought that up because we see Toucan even as an accelerator for what you're already doing. So if you are taking the time to open a mobile app for 10 minutes to an hour a day, that's amazing. Go for it. Like totally. if you are taking an in-person class and opening textbooks, that's awesome. Or using a tutor marketplace, even better. Like we can accelerate all of that learning. And so 
we see a world and we're already in these conversations actively where we can partner with the giants already in the field and with your progression that day, that week, that month, whether it's in an app or in a textbook, we can now have that progression layer up to as you're browsing the web with Toucan. No, I, I, interesting. So how do you guys plan on monetizing the platform? Yes, so we have a freemium subscription that's live. Um, we're in the midst of re-optimizing it to put the product, as you know, if you were to download it today, all of that's going to be free. And we're pushing some of our mini games, premium exercises behind that paywall. Okay. We've also launched this super cool feature called Own the Word. And right now we're using it as a massive growth factor for Toucan. Um, but it is a revenue stream for us as well. So we thought like, could we give people a piece of the dictionary of all of these words and phrases that they're learning with Toucan and give them ownership of it? So for instance, Bill Nye owns the word science, like Morning right. Brew, the newsletter owns the word coffee. And if you hover over these words, you'll see their names and their images associated with it. And anyone from an individual person, a celebrity, a brand, or just like, us could own words within Toucan. Okay, interesting. No, that's that's cool, actually. It's just like a fun way and kind of like a modern way to advertise without kind of advertising. Is that fair to say? For sure. And it's been really interesting since we've launched it. Um, close to 10,000 people have already purchased words and phrases. And no one has really been talking about it as ads which I think it goes to show like how natural integrated it is into the product and that it's not over overcoming like the product and the features itself. No, I a hundred percent agree. That's actually really interesting and, and smart, right? Because I think, well, I, I would put myself in that this boat is majority of people probably don't even look at ads when they're scroll like banner ads and stuff when they're scrolling a website these days, right? And they want, they're, I think a majority of people are understand that, especially if they're getting something for free and there's some ads, like something needs to pay for somebody to create this content if they're not paying for it. But if it's like integrated into something where it doesn't feel like you're constantly selling it to me, I think people are way more accepting to that and, and almost not happy with it, but they're, it's like totally fine, right? Because it's not this like weird pop-up that you got to like, clothes or like it's just it feels like part of the product and sure it happens to be something but it's related to the content and what i'm consuming is that fair to say totally it's super elegant and like very well done and also what's interesting too is if you purchase a word we send you an email with a bespoke url to your landing page to show off you on that that you own that word and we've been seeing people post it all over social and that only gives toucan more eyeballs and then more people go download our product sure no i i think that's that's very cool so if people want to actually try toucan where do they go and and how do they get started 
Yes. So they could either visit our website at joinTucan.com and then that'll prompt them to go download the browser extension in the Chrome Web Store or they can just find it uh, naturally searching in the Chrome Web Store. And then it's honestly just a click install. You choose your language and then you're off and running. Like you just go on Facebook, like Netflix, Medium, you just do your normal activity and you're learning. Very cool. So do you have plans to add other browser support or, or mobile support or, or where are you going to go with that? Yes, for sure. So our big, big like thesis with Toucan, right, is let's layer on top of existing behaviors. Right. And so for us, like that naturally extends, okay, let's dominate web. We're going to be launching Firefox and Safari coming very soon. Okay. Um, and then what does this look like on mobile? And for us, we wouldn't necessarily build our own mobile app because that's asking right. people to, for their time, which is against our thesis. Um, but what does Toucan instead look like layered on top of the most popular social apps, messaging apps, um, eventually like browser extensions on mobile too. Um, and then future vision is even what is Toucan for audio in a world where everyone's wearing AirPods walking around? or voice with Google Home, Alexa, in everyone's houses, or even you're walking in the physical world and you're wearing maybe a cooler version of Google Glass or Snap Spectacles, and you see a subway station sign or a restaurant menu, and that's triggering micro moments of learning. No, I, I think that's a really good idea. And well, and I even think just from your guys' side, like if you had like a, a keyboard uh, for Android and iOS that people could just... Yeah switch to right yeah that's interesting and you're right like anytime you're in another country or or where there's like two languages in a city or something and like a, the stop sign has like the english version and then like say the french version it's like oh it's like i i never took french in school so i wouldn't know what that is but like now that it's on a stop sign and i i've seen it all the time it's like you know what that is right so yeah. i think there's a lot of use cases and you're right like there's a handful of probably some sort of spectacles that will have some sort of intelligence probably within the next few years i know there already are some but i think until like majority of people are wearing them or a lot of people are wearing them like an apple watch type kind of thing it's going to be an interesting space so i'm curious you've had a ton of experience working for companies you've had some failures you've had some successes what advice do you give to people that are looking to start a company and just kind of go for it because in a lot of cases it's it's very scary yeah i mean i think we've talked a lot today about um failure in general and building up that rejection muscle and so i think like asking for things that you don't necessarily think people will say yes for um starting to to get that rejection level and be okay with like things staying the same or being told no. I think also on the product iteration side, like start so small and show it to people. Like don't wait till everything's so beautiful, perfect, because then you've already inputted so much of your time without getting real feedback from, and it may not even end up going anywhere. And I think you almost want to be embarrassed by what you're showing people. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that's, that's actually really good advice. Um, 
do you have any other advice around raising money for people? Because you obviously built these relationships for long periods of time, but do you have any other good advice for people looking to raise capital? Yes. So one thing we didn't talk about is how did I even get access to these investors, sure. right? Um, so what I did was I reached out to every founder I could get in front of. So I'm almost a professional stalker, but in the least creepy way possible, <laughs> like, awesome. you can figure out everyone's email address and it's pretty sure. easy to just find that format. Um, and then it's really tailoring that email to them. But I mean, the founders of Honey talking to our old bosses from Headspace, Prey, um, people that have raised capital before who then have their own investor networks, their own investors on their cap table, and really just asking them for advice because that sometimes even turns into your first angel checks before right. you even have to talk to investors and just asking them for warm intros and then setting up those meetings after that. Um, I've done that over the years and Ryan Hudson, one of the founders of Honey, I've known for the past seven years. I pitched him every single one of these ideas. Um, he's always been so kind, generous with his time, but Toucan is the first one. He was like, Taylor, this is it, take my money. Um, and he was one of our first checks in. No, that's that's awesome. And, and that you're right, that's actually really good advice. And I think getting advice from people that have been through it is invaluable because everybody will give you your opinion, but in a lot of cases, if they haven't been through it, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to them, but sometimes it's kind of like, well, maybe, right? Like, but if you know that person's been through it, especially if it's in the same kind of industry or, or vertical and they can give you advice in, in a lot of cases, I put that advice higher up and maybe that's mean to say, but that's just, I think that's my reality and my opinion around it. Exactly. And also too, you can hear the questions they're asking because they're so used to pitching themselves. Yeah. They'll almost mimic investors and it gives you such good practice to understand the patterns of what's going to be asked. So then you can keep iterating on your answers so that before you're even talking to investors and having high stake conversations, you already feel very comfortable with the lingo, the dialogue and what's going to be asked of you. No, I, I hundred percent agree. Well, and they can, find the potential holes in your product, yeah. maybe before you even see them in some cases. Exactly. And it's also amazing. Like, I mean, Honey being a browser extension, yeah. we were able to poke through all the holes that investors love to <laughs> of just using that as your go to market uh, vertical. And then like industry, like ed tech, consumer founders that might have similar things where either they have knowledge about where investors have poked hole in and their ideas and how they've like come around through that. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. So what's your thoughts on, obviously you're in one of the big tech hub spots, arguably kind of globally, how important do you think geographic location has been or not been for you? So when I was in a pre COVID world, yeah. um, I did not do any of my meetings over phone, over video chat. I flew to SF and New York multiple times. Interesting. Um, I thought that relationship piece was so important to be able to build in person. But we did, when COVID hit, 
like wartime CEO, I went out to fundraise and supercharge our previous round. Um, and that was completely over video chat. And a lot of those investors I had never met in person before um, and was able to wrap that round up pretty quickly as well. And then recently brought on like two high profile celebrities who I've never met in person. And so I think that it really doesn't matter where you're located anymore as long as you're building something that's really interesting because you can still get access to people um, as long as you know how to work your way around and ask for intro. No, I, I actually think that's really good advice because I think geographic region doesn't really matter anymore. Obviously, it's nice if you could meet somebody in person. I also think once COVID and, and hopefully within the next year or so, um, if once we have the ability to travel, especially in North America, like if if it's if it's you book this on a if you have a if you book a something on a Monday, well, you can be somewhere usually within a day or two in, in North America. Sure, if you have to go overseas is a little bit maybe more challenging, but mm -hmm. for the most part, it's like a day flight tops, maybe just a few hours, right? And so to go across the country from you to fly to LA to New York, well, it's, you did it in a day and you were maybe overnight or if you caught the red eye home or something, right? Like it, it's not that hard to get most places these days. Um, exactly. It, I would yeah. travel SF in the 6 a.m. flight, be there for 9 a.m. meetings and then go home that night. Right. And then for New York, I would, I don't know if this was a good idea, but I would take the red eye there and then start my morning with meetings all the way through the day, probably stay there for two or three days, but just stack back to back meetings right. and then go home on the next red eye. Wow. You were tired after that. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. But I think it was important and honestly strategic to have that momentum. Um, and just to like keep pushing it, which is why I made those sacrifices on my sleep. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. And and I'm curious if you use this or not, is if you're in New York for two or three days, I'm, I'm sure it came up in certain uh, investor meetings, like, oh, how long you were in town for? Are you meeting with anybody else? He was like, well, I'm here for two or three days and I have X amount of meetings over those days with investors, right? Like, yeah. did you use that? Of course, you have to use every little thing. There's such a, a power imbalance. And so any little thing you can use as leverage, I think it's really important to pick up on and emphasize and get that FOMO and momentum going. No, I, I think that's that's great, right? I, I was hoping you would say that, but I'm glad that you actually use that because it's, it's the truth. It's not like you're making something up, right? But I feel like so many people are almost like scared or embarrassed to tell about, yeah, maybe you don't even need to drop the companies. It's like, if you're not that comfortable, but you could say like, yes, I'm meeting with, you know, X amount of people over the next couple of days. And, and if you can obviously drop some of those names in, in some cases, it could really help, right? Or maybe the two of you, two of those investors are like, hey, I know that person, like maybe they'll do half and I do half or something like that. You never know where that's gonna go. Totally, and it's almost serendipitous too. Um, which is really interesting, but yeah, I would just like use anything, um, potentially like to my advantage to help just to get that close because I mean, it's also like 
such a privilege for investors to come onto your cap table as a founder because if you are building everything that you say you are like you're going to end up making them very wealthy yeah. um, so thinking of it in that perspective too and just thinking of different ways you can feel even if you like don't really feel that you have that leverage almost fake it till you make it interesting now i i 100 agree with you so I'm curious though, you obviously have kind of gotten over the, the self-confidence hurdle and, and the fear of rejection hurdle. How do you actually go about working on these things and pushing yourselves out of these different comfort zones and, and trying these new things? Because I think for a lot of people, it's, it's really, really hard. Yeah, well, so I'm still rejected every single day um, and being told no. So I'm still very much flexing that muscle. I think one thing you don't really realize as a founder going to fundraising in is how much rejection there is. And the earlier you, earlier you are, the harder it really is to hear because, and especially how I stack my meetings is you're in one meeting, people are telling you this is the most terrible idea they've ever had. You're going to fail miserably. The next meeting is, this is the best idea. You have such an amazing vision. We love the team. And then the next one, it's just like this up and down roller coaster. And I think being able to not even like the rejection side overcoming, but almost staying steady and taking yeah. each meeting from ground zero and still being that excited about what you're building because you never know what the meet, where the meeting is going and you can't let the previous ones affect that one that you are in the present moment with. No, I, I think that's really good advice, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning quickly what again Toucan is and where people can get more information and try it out? Amazing. So Toucan is a free to download browser extension that teaches you new languages as you go about your day. You can try it out at jointoucan.com. If you have any feedback at all, I'd love to hear it. My email is taylor.neeman, N-I-E-M-A-N at jointoucan.com or tweet at us. We're all over social. Um, and thank you so much, Kevin, for having me on this. Like, love chatting with you today. Perfect. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.